재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Did you know is our little corner when we delve into general details of life in Korea, sometimes historical details. And that's what we're going to do this week with Seoul Global Center Communications Officer Michelle Kang. Hi, Michelle. Good morning, Kurt. Um, there are a handful of dates. You can count on one hand almost the dates that deeply resonate with Koreans. And perhaps in modern Korea, there's none quite as important as Yu-Gi-Oh, right? The Yu-Gi-Oh. launch, the outbreak of the Korean War, 625, right? right. So that's what we're coming up on in right. just a matter of days. And it's uh, pretty appropriate that we uh, think about uh, that era and uh, the sacrifices that were made. Right, right. So, um, everybody knows the Korean War began on June 25th, mm-hmm. 1950. But, Kurt, did you know what time it actually happened? Well, it was bright and early. That's I mean, because right. it took everybody by surprise. Mm-hmm, that's right. So mm-hmm. It was 4.30 in the morning. Mm, that's like barely before daybreak. That's right. And it was a Sunday morning as well. Ah. Mm, so, uh, 75,000 North Korean uh Soldiers invaded South Korean territory, um, and then when all these tanks, the, the bombs, uh, broke into this silence of peaceful um, Sunday morning, a third of South Korean soldiers were off duty, mm-hmm. and that's why uh, the South Korea was almost defenseless. And then um, North Korean forces occupied Seoul in three days and advanced to the Nakdong River, which is in Gyeongbok, uh, Gyeongsang Bukdo uh, province. In a month. Yeah, this is, these are the days that predated satellites, eyes in the sky, and nowadays there's absolutely no chance that North Korea could mount a surprise attack like that because they'd be spotted from space doing it, among other ways. Right. Um, but it was a complete surprise back then. And uh, the United Nations coalition forces and the, led by the U.S. had to make a pretty swift response. Mm-hmm. And then there's a familiar name to many uh, Koreans, uh, General Douglas MacArthur. Sure. Right. Well, he had just been in town uh, a few years before for um, to liberate uh, East Asia, basically, from, mm-hmm. the, from the Japanese. Right, right. So this operation he's famous for, the landing of Incheon, or it's also called the Battle of Incheon, or the codename Operation Chromite. Um, US we just had General. that movie, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Right. With uh, Liam Neeson, right? Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. right. Did you watch it? You know, I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. I, I do want to see it. Mm-hmm. It's right there up on my list. But right. uh, yeah, Liam Neeson as an American general. I don't know who quite made that decision, but I'm sure it made sense. <laughs> One of the most famous military operations in history, right? That's right. So um, at that time, he was looking for a chance for a decisive counterattack. And then he chose... Incheon to cut off the North Korean supply lines. And Incheon was surely a very strategic port. Um, but the operation itself was considered a very risky project. Uh, because Incheon has great many beaches and then there are lots of islands. But because of that, the, the tidal current speed is really fast along a narrow channel. Uh, Naturally, all these unfavorable conditions, everybody was actually opposed to this idea. So uh, MacArthur's idea was opposed by so many uh, military commanders all over the world. Um, but he convinced other military generals saying that well, this could be uh, the one that enemy would think as well. If we the enemy thought it was so perilous and so risky that they didn't even plan on that 
contingency. Right, right. I mean, if you've ever caught the, air, the airport train out to Incheon Airport, mm-hmm. you go by these Incheon mud flats right. and they look like a giant, you know, you wouldn't even want to walk out on those, never mind uh, take four-ton tanks mm. and drive them across. So, yeah, it's, it's understandable why they wouldn't have been prepared for that. That's right, that's right. Um, and, but the, later on, MacArthur actually recalled that the probability of the success of this operation was one in 5,000. Never tell me the odds. That's what Han Solo says. Yeah, it's, he and Douglas MacArthur probably have the same mindset, right? Mm, right. So it was what they, you know, the Marines and all those guys calling him amphibious landing. You mm-hmm. go right from sea to land. That's right. That's mm. right. Um, so this uh, codenamed Operation Chromite was launched on September 15th, uh, 1950. And then um, it involved more than 50, uh, 75,000 troops and then 261 naval vessels. Mm. Uh, it was considered a very risky operation, but it played a really, really important role uh, in its victory against the North Korea. Uh, South Korea and along with the UN forces recaptured Seoul two weeks after the operation and then it saved South Korea from the brink of the defeat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it just essentially cut off all those North Koreans that were south of Seoul right. from their supply lines. It mm-hmm. left them more or less militarily ineffective, right? Right. Um, I know we're going to talk a little more about Operation Chromite, the movie, but uh, one of the focuses of that movie was not necessarily Liam Neeson and Douglas MacArthur as much as it was the uh, the guys, the Koreans, the guys on the ground that were bringing MacArthur his information, right? Right, right, that's right. So information was key mm-hmm. in helping this operation succeed. That's right. I think just... Tactically, um, that's where the UN forces first spread the false information to the North Korea. Mm. Uh, they will attack the enemies in the Gunsan or Busan areas okay. um, to just confuse all these uh, North Korean soldiers. They really hit the railway in Gunsan um, while they were preparing for this operation, mm. and um, they needed this uh, vast amount of information to succeed in conducting the operation for sh- for sure and just other than aerial photographs or sources you just get from analyzing um, communications device mm-hmm. they needed more accurate information which could be collected by intelligence agents who would penetrate deep into the enemy lines and check all this information in person with their own eyes yeah mm-hmm not quite as sharply divided uh, North and South Korean sides in those days, so it's easier to penetrate one side the other. That's right. right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's considerably a more difficult task. Right. And so they got all of this valuable information. They also planted the notion that the coalition is going to attack elsewhere mm. and drew off some of the North Korean forces, kind right. of opening up the possibility That's to right. land at Incheon. Mm-hmm. So um, I just talked about this intelligence agents. Uh, the very first or initial model of the intelligence unit during the Korean War was a Navy intelligence unit that was set up in Busan. Uh, altogether, 17 Korean soldiers uh, left Busan and headed to an island called Yonghungdo near Incheon. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all disguised into construction workers or North Korean soldiers and they started digging up all this information as thoroughly as possible. Um, information such as all this fortification along the uh, coastal lines on uh, a number of artillery or the types of artillery or their location, um, enemy units and whatnot. So uh, 
based on this data collected from them, uh, has been actually reported to the UN, United Nations and in South Korean forces. And that's why they were able to prepare to conduct the operation. Mm-hmm. And uh, after they were all set up, they ordered the Navy intelligence agents to withdraw from the island on a September 13th, two days before their D-Day, big mm. day. Uh, but... Um, except two or three soldiers, they were all like just, uh, they just got out of the island. But on the operation day at midnight on the 14th, North Korean troops attacked the island. I see. So a few people were trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, um, they, of course, uh, fought against the enemy, but eventually they killed themselves to not to spill the secret operation. Hmm. Huh. Okay, and that's where we, uh, you know, uh, start to see some of the drama that made it into this movie, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't called Operation Chromite in Korean, was it? Incheon Sangyuk Jakjeon. Okay, mm-hmm. so Incheon Landing, basically. Yeah, that's All right. right. Mm-hmm. That was the Korean title. And it wasn't exactly a documentary, but it did kind of pay homage to these people. Uh, of course, yeah. right. But more of, actually, this is not about the actual Operation Chromite, but mm. it's what happened right before. The lead up. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so this, these guys on the island right. that were handling the information gathering mm-hmm. um, so. kind of sparked a little interest in the this sort of subset of intelligence officials, right, mm-hmm. and agents. Right, right. So uh, this movie definitely renewed interest in the battle sites and then the little known veterans and their sacrifices because um, there was this intelligence unit called KLO unit. KLO. Uh-huh. That's uh, Korea Liaison Office, uh-huh. KLO, or in Korean, people say KELLO. KELLO, they mm-hmm. would actually say that. KELLO BUDE. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Far East Command actually led this small intelligence unit. And then because, you know, this is a secret intelligence, intelligence unit, so confidentiality is key. Mm. So we actually didn't really know much about this KLO unit before this movie was actually released. And it, who were the agents or what exactly they did all remained hidden. And then we couldn't really find the records or documents about this. I mean, time has not yielded a whole lot more information about them because I guess a lot of the stuff they did, their tactics and whatnot, is still mm-hmm. kind of relevant, right? So right. somewhere in some vault is information that uh, will not be revealed as of yet because it might still be useful. Well, that's true. That's true. Maybe there are a limit of like um, years that has uh, all these documents are supposed to be kept secret, right? Mm. So after that, so probably, in the future, who knows, right? right? Mm-hmm. So okay. there's, yeah. Uh, a rumor, there's a rumor, like it is said that Insadong was the base for this Kello um, agent. And then one five-story company building was used as a headquarter to train agents, but we le- really cannot find a trace hmm. in the area. Um, it was a lot of, obviously, young men mm-hmm. that were involved in fighting the enemy in the, the Korean War, right? Right. Uh, women, children, they usually are thought to be, you know, the ones that stay at home and get protected. Uh, but um, there were some instances of women making big sacrifices in the Korean War, right? Right, right. Um, before uh, I just talk about the uh, women uh, involved in this Korean War, maybe I would have to mention this imp- 
very, very important um, battle right before the uh, Operation Chromite because there's this island that I would have to mention, Palmido Island. Is that the one where they made their last stand, those guys? Yes. Okay. Right. So, um, intelligence group carried out the special missions. And then before the, the operation, the KLO agents were supposed to recapture the Palmi Island, which is the uh, about 16 kilometers uh, west of the Incheon port. This is the island where um, the, the first lighthouse in Korea was located. So um, UN and then Korean forces actually needed that lighthouse to make a surprise um, amphibious landing mm. uh, because they planned to make an assault at night. I see. Mm-hmm. So uh, KLO units along with UN forces fought a fierce battle there against the North Korean soldiers and at this battle 22 uh, KLO spies lost their, lost their lives but then at the second battle three K- KLO operatives and then three American soldiers they succeeded in winning back Palmi Island at 10 p.m. just a few hours later that uh, Operation Chromite was conducted. All right, and they were able to light up that lighthouse and help the ships get in. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's get on to uh, sort of gender diversity mm-hmm. here in the intelligence gathering effort. There were female spies as well in the Korean War. Right. Um, but not many people actually heard about this female agents, especially during the Korean War. Mm. Uh, but the female spies would attract less suspicion, right? I guess so. Uh, in the right contexts, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, well, it, I'm not really changing the topic, but uh, let me just talk about a baseball game which took place two weeks ago. Is it a spy baseball game? Oh, no, really? But there is a spy. Okay. Uh, in a Korean professional baseball, just like American baseball game, I think, there is uh-huh. a pre-game ritual, ceremonial pitch, right? And this is happening, uh, this is prior to the outbreak of the Korean War. Oh, no, 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 no. Two weeks ago from today. From Oh, from today. From today. I <laughs> wonder <laughs> when in the Korean War they have time for a baseball no, game. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. That was uh, June 6th. Uh, Memorial Day, okay. right? Uh, a baseball w- game was um, taking place. Uh, then usually all these like honored guests would throw the ceremonial first pitch. Usually would expect a girl group member or like an actor or actress. To do like a fancy, dancey kind of throw, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But at uh, on that day, all this audience was a little surprised by the unusual sight they see because the, the pitcher was a 83-year-old grandma. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but she, her name is Shim Yong-hae. Uh-huh. And then she was the female intelligence agent in KLO uh, unit. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what did she do? Um, she lived such a dramatic life, you know. Her life was more dramatic than this movie. And there were some female agents portrayed in the movie, Chromite, uh, Operation Chromite. Mm-hmm. Um, was she, she, Grandma, Harmony, was just a junior high stu- uh, school student. Okay. Um, but uh, one day a bomb was dropped on her neighborhood. So she saw her neighbors dying out. And then she just thought, you know, everyone should die. If she's going to die eventually, then 
Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's going to be here or in the battlefield. It's interesting. This is one of the reasons people find such courage in wartime because they say, you know what? Backs up against a wall anyway. Mm -hmm. I might die anyway, so let me do something to make right, a difference. Right. That seems to be her situation. Mm -hmm. So even as a young girl, she's, she's deciding to take some action. That's right. So she actually asked her friends to just join the volunteer just uh, unit together, but they just... They just refused the idea, but mm. she was just alone. Uh, but in her group, she was with other like thirty something other young um, teenage girls. Um, she was only fifteen, but then when she came back, she was alone. She was the only survivor in that group. Wow. All right. What kind of things did she find out? What kind of things did she investigate? Um, you know, during the wartime, secret agents couldn't really leave any evidence, right? So she had to just report verbally. Mm -hmm. So everything she saw, she had to memorize. Uh, how many tanks are there? How many soldiers are there? Sometimes um, she just have to come back to the uh, headquarters to report it and then go back to the battlefields. Back you and can't forth. exactly fill up a notebook with sketches and numbers and things like that that you might get found with. Sure, and then it was not uh, the movie Mission Impossible. There's no self-destruct <laughs> message or <laughs> yep. anything. That's right. Right, right. Um, so, you know, but sometimes you are in the enemy lines. You could be just killed by accident, you know, in air strikes. Right, right. Um, she, uh, when the aircraft started dropping bombs, she just had to just run away. Uh, sometimes she rolled down the mountain slope to avoid bombs. Right. Hurt her head or her arms. And then she uh, slept in the barrier ground next to dead bodies. And then she couldn't really find anything to eat. So some, sometimes she just found uh, mountain berries to mm -hmm. survive. Mm -hmm. And she was even taken by the communist Chinese troops once. But she uh, she was just bound with ropes and then dragged around for a week. But she escaped by a miracle. Um, you know how many s s secret agents were there in total in a KLO unit? I couldn't even guess. Just tell mm, me. 6,000. That's a lot. But 5,000 of them are dead. And of them, uh, what percentage were female? 20%. Okay, so one in five was female. That's actually higher than I would have thought. Yeah. But, um, all right. Right. But now there are only 40 former operatives alive. And then among them, female agents are fewer than uh, 10 people. And out of them, one 83 or 84-year-old baseball-throwing <laughs> female spy. Did right. she throw the ball okay? Did you catch that pitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was she totally did all right. right. Oh, man. I wonder if she's written a book. I'd love to read her book mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think you, whoever can interview her or make a documentary about her, so much the better. Right. Um, she must, I mean, when you've lived a life like that, I know veterans come back with uh, sort of tremors and horrors and whatnot. She must experience some of that too after going through so much hardship. Uh, but she was too young, right? She was only 15. And then she still suffers from PT PTSD. Mm, Post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm, yeah. Right. So she has sleeping problems. Uh, she needs sleeping pills to sleep. Yeah. And uh, she suffers anxiety disorders. Um, but the, the more, more important thing is like... Uh, after the war, the companies actually didn't want to hire all these people who were former agents if they were female. Um, so they had to intentionally omit the... Uh, Why? What, what's the uh, issue with hiring? Uh, there was this, some strange stereotypes about these women. They just, uh, in general, people thought maybe they were too, like, 
uh, wild or uh, wild-tempered, I mean, or too tough. So It's not like a question of their loyalty like that. No, 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 no. So that was their... um, I see. So it's it's kind of like they're not docile enough. Mm -hmm. They have been operatives in a war situation. They're not going to take your little uh, orders, orders in the office, please get me coffee. Right. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That could be possible, right. <laughs> I didn't sleep next to dead soldiers, you know, and all of this stuff so I could get your coffee and right. carry your papers. I get hmm. it. All right. And then, uh, unfortunately, though, all these former KLO agents are not really treated with due respect they deserve because, you know, in general, like war veterans, Korean war veterans, they receive all these benefits, right? But, um, Due to this characteristics or nature of their missions, there were no military ranks, no serial numbers. Uh, basically, they were just re- regular forces. And then they belonged to the UN forces, not the Korean forces. So that's why their sacrifices, their efforts were not really recognized by the Korean government so far. Isn't it sad? It really is sad. And it's uh, there's something very ironic about it. Mm. I mean, you know, you, these guys should almost have their own special holiday or something. That's know? right. But luckily, um, very recently, a new bill to amend all this old regulation was passed by the government. So we can actually expect the country would finally recognize their their noble service to the country. You know, you don't have to know, Michelle, uh, but have you ever seen on any one of the broadcast networks or anything like that a documentary specifically on these female agents? Um, as far as I know, there's one person who has been producing some uh, movies, and then there's this uh, female um, intelligence unit. They conducted the mission uh, called Rabbit, and the story of this was supposed to be made into a documentary or a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing fodder Mm -hmm. for um, either a a dramatic movie. You know, we were just talking with uh, our expert, Won Suk Chin, about uh, gender diversity in movies and how there's not a whole lot of women directors or women roles. Mm -hmm. And a movie about these female agents Mm -hmm. in the Yu-Gi-Oh! period would be just fantastic for the Korean film industry to make. Mm -hmm. I really think that would be... You've given me my new mission in life here. I'm going to finally see Operation Chromite, and I'm going to seek out what documentaries have been made in the Korean space about these women and check them out. All right. All right. That's a little reflection on the start of the Korean War all those years ago. Michelle, thank you for coming in. My pleasure.